The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Subscription food boxes are big business. My food bag gained huge revenue, attracted private equity money and went to IPO. A big international player, HelloFresh, arrived and spent big on free food promo. And during this time, a local offering, Whoop, has been serving thousands of customers with its foodie-friendly recipes and chef-ready preparation. Whoop stands for World on a Plate, and its inventive offering found fans for a crowdfund and into regular delivery. It was a rocky year. But COVID hasn't been all bad. With a business based on culture and values, it's won big at business awards and is in a great spot for 2021. To talk the journey from France to New Zealand, from makeup marketing to food boxes, founder CEO Thomas Dietz joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Hey, so first up, tell me how you came to be in New Zealand and tell me about working with you know one of the great names in uh, cosmetic marketing, L'Oreal. I, I started my, uh, my uh, career, I, uh, I graduated as uh, an engineer. I was, my mind and, uh, was not really into engineering, but I think my parents pushed me to do engineering school because they were free in France, while uh, business school uh, were costing quite a lot. <laughs> I, so I was never feeling that I was an engineer, but uh, when I graduated, I had to do my military office and a way of avoiding it because I was not really into this kind of game was to work for um, a French company overseas and I had quite a taste for travel so I found a, a, a job in um, marketing for a telecom company in Venezuela and while I was uh, waiting to uh, receive my uh, visa I started working for a, a small startup and um, I made a mental note because I had such a great time that I wanted to uh, become an entrepreneur so I went to Venezuela uh, Two years after, there was a big um, economical crisis in Venezuela and a coup. So I came back to uh, France and I uh, joined L'Oréal. And I was really lucky because after uh, nine months there, they uh, were selecting a, a handful of uh, young engineers that were working uh, quite often, quite secretly on some uh, large uh, M&A uh, acquisition of, um, of, of the group. And they needed some... Uh, um, 
some some young engineer to do lots of work. So there was lots of exposure, lots of travel. At the time, the group was um, buying lots of uh, companies in uh, in China. So I spent lots of time in. Um, in China, in Japan, in Korea, and uh, I was uh, because I was speaking Spanish, uh, going a lot in uh, to South America as well, and spent lots of time in uh, in Brazil, and uh, I had a great great time. I was uh, 25 years old, uh, single, living the the dream. <laughs> and, yeah. But uh, after a few years, uh, my wife, uh, who I met in uh, in Venezuela, uh, so my my girlfriend at the time uh, decided to join me and live with me in Paris. The problem is that I was spending uh, three and a half weeks per month traveling. So um, I asked L'Oréal to uh, find me a fixed position. They sent me to uh, Melbourne. And after 18 months in Melbourne, they told me that it was a uh, time to uh, move. So um, they asked me about my criteria. I told them that um, I uh, wanted to be at a 12-hour flight from uh, Europe so I could uh, get back for a, a wedding or a party or something. And uh, that when they told me, we send you to Auckland in New Zealand. <laughs> so um, uh, we, I, I was wondering first what I did wrong. And uh, But when, when we arrived in New Zealand, my wife and I, we uh, really fell in love with the country, so we decided to stay. So um, uh, they, they tried after um, a year in New Zealand to uh, send me to the Middle East, and uh, I managed to stay in New Zealand. And um, after three years, it was enough, and they were uh, pushing me and pushing me to take bigger jobs and to stay. And um, that's where I decided to uh, to leave the group. Yeah, wow. And um, that's so interesting that in France it's either military service or you could go and help to build French companies overseas and kind of, you know, the mer- the mercenary service. Uh, and, and that kind of, you know, hu- huge company and landing in New Zealand. Like, what did you, what was your impression of New Zealand before you came here as people who grow up in, you know, the heart of Europe and have travelled around, um, you know, so much of the world. Yeah, what, 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 what was New Zealand in your mind? I did, didn't know much about uh, New Zealand. I was a cliche on um, uh, rugby and uh, I come from a family that is big in sailing. So I knew that uh, New Zealand had fantastic sailor. I was seeing a country with uh, lots of ships uh, being extremely green and uh, environmentally friendly in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, I was having all those images of uh, mountains and uh, but I didn't know much before arriving in uh, in Australia about uh, Kiwis and the the, the ki- Kiwi spirit mentality, the sense of uh, community and the great place that New Zealand was. Ah, cool. And then I imagine you would have had some pretty amazing exposure to a lot of different foods and ways of living and kind of the community around food through all of that travel uh, and, and all of those adventures overseas. What was it that got you into thinking about food boxes in New Zealand? I um, I, I have always like uh, eating and uh, and and cooking, and uh, I think it's quite in the, a lot in the DNA of um, of lo- lots of uh, French people. Uh, we we grew up and um, we tend to uh, leave our, our parents when we are uh, 17, 18 years old, living on our own. So uh, we we learn pretty quickly how to cook um, and traveling a lot. I, 
had the luck of uh, experiencing lots of different uh, uh, cuisine. So w when I left uh, L'Oréal in um, 2011, I uh, had a friend who had left his uh, corporate job as well. So uh, we got together. It was uh, uh, just at the beginning of the World, World Cup in, um, in September. So the country was buzzing and we were thinking... What about doing a pop-up restaurant for the um, during the rugby World Cup? And um, the idea was pretty exciting, but fortunately we didn't do that because we thought uh, naively that um, the streets of New Zealand would be covered of um, uh, tourists, which was not really happening. People were just coming during the weekend to watch the game to Auckland and then they were uh, uh, traveling in uh, the, the rest of the time. So we saw that uh, the supermarket ales were changing quite a lot in um, New Zealand seeing the explosion of uh, gourmet yogurt, for example. So we thought that um, the fresh ready-to-eat meal would grow a lot. And uh, when you travel in the UK you, um, and you have a look at the, the supermarket aisles, they have aisles and aisles of different uh, variety of uh, fresh ready-to-eat meals. Um, so we decided to um, uh, embark in a journey of doing some uh, fresh ready-to-eat meals. We had the idea of doing a, a full international range. We started with a, a French one initially. So um, we uh, created a company called Tomet, uh, selling some fresh ready-to-eat meals. Initially, we were planning to go direct to consumer. I had done enough of uh, supermarket work in uh, when I was at L'Oréal, uh, but New World Victoria Park, the largest uh, New World in the country, uh, when we launched the product, uh, asked us if uh, we could uh, range the product. So we did that uh, pretty quickly, and then um, Moore Wilson in uh, Wellington ranged the product as well. So we studied. Uh, selling our products through New World, uh, Faro, Nosh, uh, a few selective stores. That New World in Victoria Park is a real incubator and spot for food innovation, isn't it? Yes, they're always uh, trying uh, new things and uh, always uh, yeah, quite, quite innovative within a company that has its own restriction and uh, complexity because of the cooperative uh, structure. So some owners are extremely innovative, and uh, but to be able to push some innovation through the network, they need to get the agreements of a lot of other owners. <laughs> and so from doing the prepared meals, what led you to uh, this emerging trend around food boxes? So the, the uh, Tomet was a, uh, we worked a lot on, um, on, the, on the branding, on the product, and uh, we really loved the, the, the brand and uh, what it was uh, meaning. The challenge that we had not anticipated is that the category was quite small. It was a seven or eight million dollar category. We thought that it would grow quite quickly. Uh, but it hasn't. There was no player with um, deep pockets. And uh, being a startup, we were um, spending, we were contract manufacturing the production of the meal. Uh, so our contract manufacturer was taking their margin. On the other side, the supermarkets were taking uh, their margin as well. With a 
quite often a poor quality of execution. So we needed to be very present and spend a lot uh, servicing those stores. And we were stuck in the middle with very little margin that was quite often disappearing in uh, products that were um, arriving at the end of their shelf life. Mm. We had very short shelf life of uh, 14, 15 days of fresh ready meals. So it's extremely challenging to um, make the uh, accurate <laughs> forecast. And, and how was it for you going from, uh, you know, the cosmetic category, which has an extraordinarily low cost of goods and it's incredibly shelf-stable, and then going to something that's got a really high cost of goods, really thin margin, and super perishable? Yes, it was qu- quite challenging, and <laughs> that when um, uh, sometimes I think the 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 naiveness of uh, young entrepreneurs uh, uh, get into play. Uh, fortunately, we, uh, we we don't think about all of that, or unfortunately, and uh, but I think it's what, what uh, drove us. So we had a, a pretty uh, a higher price points, so we could get uh, some margin, but at the same time, the price point was probably too high to get enough volume so that was really hard to um, an equation very hard to solve so that uh, we, we tried a few other products we launched some um, some crepes and we launched some soups the soups were a lot better because we had a, a 80 day shelf life but the soup is more of a winter product so uh, it's uh, it has as well its own uh, challenges so after playing in this uh, industry for uh, three years I um, decided that, uh, and I was having a look at all those uh, food subscription businesses that were popping up uh, all around the world, uh, specifically the meal kit businesses. Um, the, the first one started in um, in Sweden in 2008 and uh, was doing uh, pretty well. And then lots of companies have copied the model, uh, all the HelloFresh, Blue Apron, My Food Bag, uh, copy-paste the same model of delivering to the customer a recipe card and all the ingredients that uh, you need to cook dinner once a week. We thought that there was a different way of um, solving this problem of busy professionals who want to eat um, delicious dinners but don't have the time to cook during the week. So we did something halfway through uh, fresh ready meals and a traditional uh, food kit by doing all the preparation of the food. So um, we went to whiteboard and uh, starting to... um, uh, see how it could work. Uh, initially, we were chi- we were trying to get everything under 15 minutes, and um, then we ended up finding uh, by doing lots of market validation that 20 minutes was okay. So what we do is what any restaurant in the world is doing. It's uh, it has a French name. It's called mise en place, but uh, the concept is surely not French. It's this concept of doing the preparation. So when you arrive in the restaurant, you don't want to uh, wait an hour to get your meal on your plate. Uh, You're ready to wait 10, 15, 20 minutes, but uh, not more. So the chefs usually do all the preparation in advance. So that's what we do. We prepare all the sauces, the dressing. We uh, peel, dice some of the veggies. We even uh, pre-steam some of them. So when it's time to cook dinner, it takes half of the time. Wow, and kind of 20 minutes. I guess that's time for a glass of wine or time to kind of relax and feel like you've done something. But you don't have to think. You don't have to think about what ingredients you have, whether you have everything, what order to do things in. Uh, you just kind of go. Yes, so it's it's 
quite, quite uh, um, interesting because our customers are not um, they, what they really like about um, the product is that uh, they, they, they don't save uh, 20 or 30 minutes a day uh, three or four times a week so they can uh, learn to play the guitar or mandarin it's more appreciating those moments of life they all um, they tend to be uh, quite fully they um, they are busy professional so their pain point and the frustration is not to be able to have the time during the week to cook some uh, interesting dinners. So they appreciate the variety of the meal, discovering some new recipes, uh, getting everything that is pre-sorted. And at the end of the day, after a busy um, a professional day, they don't always want to uh, to, to, to dive into um, a recipe with uh, 13 or 14 different ingredients and uh, spending 45 minutes or an hour in the recipe. They're pretty happy to get something exceptional, but in a short amount of time. It's quite remarkable how successful the food box concept has been, hey? Like, I mean... Uh, the the my food bag journey they were one of the fastest companies to reach a hundred million of annual revenue it's um in, in New Zealand's kind of commercial history it's it's phenomenal what do you yeah like tell me a little bit about what you hear from people about why they have been so successful with people like you were saying there that they can dive into something interesting at the end of the day but like yeah are, are people do they have really limited repertoires of things they cook or are they scared to try to cook new things in case it goes wrong or you know do, do people just need that hand holding to, to to widen what they cook i think that uh, lots of um, uh, our customers uh, they're big foodies they have tons and tons of um, uh, recipes at home and lots of uh, uh, cookbooks it just takes quite a lot of time and organization and planning to be able to cook uh, amazing recipes during the week. Um, I, I personally am in this case. I love during the weekend to uh, go to the market and uh, uh, plan some recipes. During the week, I just don't, don't have the time. So I think it's... Uh, solving this uh, problem of and bringing some uh, some convenience uh, solving this problem of variety as well to be able to provide our own uh, uh, partners and family with uh, uh, lots of uh, variety of uh, of meals and the the kiwi and new zealand food scene has changed a lot and uh, we did so well all across the country i think over the last uh, 15 20 years it's changed dramatically Kiwis are very well-traveled, so they're interested in um, lots of variety of food, so we, we, we are offering that, I think. Tell me about the world part of World on a Plate. As when you launched, I remember um, the, the crowdfund and the idea being very much about bringing these cuisines of the world to, to people in their homes. Is that still a really key part of the offering, or how's it kind of changed over time in terms of what you're providing? Yes, I think we, we're still there. We um, uh, like to provide some variety and we uh, uh, source some uh, the best recipes that we can find all around the world that are not all um, uh, three-star Michelin uh, restaurant recipes, but we do lots of uh, anything from um, some lots of street food and uh, getting some inspiration from uh, uh, lots of travel. And we've got a team that is uh, of amazing 
amazingly passionate foodies that always have some new ideas of uh, recipes. And we marry that with uh, the, the best ingredient in the world that come from, uh, from New Zealand. We're so lucky to have uh, uh, the amazing ingredients that I think the marrying both creates some, allows us to create some amazing product. How did you get the business off the ground? As there was that crowdfunder kind of get going, hey, and has that been a really big part in building a community around the business? And yeah, how's, how's, how's it going? That's interesting because uh, initially, I, uh, when I was stuck between um, between Tomet and uh, and Whoop, I had spent um, all my uh, the money and all my savings on um, on Tomet. Um, I, I think life is always uh, providing some uh, amazing uh, uh, learning. I take it as a, the, the 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 challenges of Tomet as a, a course that I took in the University of Life that was and. I I paid the attrition fee that was quite high at the <laughs> level of probably how hard my uh, head was at the time. So I arrived totally uh, almost broke um, with this idea of, uh, of, of starting Whoop. So um, I uh, met uh, 92 or 93 different investors that told me no, that told me that the idea was uh, not a good idea at all, that uh, some of them that they should go back to um, having a corporate life, that it will never work. I ended up finding a small group that was backing up uh, the idea that was uh, bringing a little bit of seed money. And uh, so we decided to do some um, equity crowdfunding. Snowball Effect was uh, had just launched uh, 12 months before. They were not taking some uh, pre-revenue startup. We were the first one that just sold an idea. I don't think they've done it after us, and they, they always like to get some companies that have two or three million dollars of uh, revenue. But we thought that it was a perfect um, product because it was pretty easy to uh, understand the concept. Anyone could be a, a customer. And we had a break-even point that was at a uh, uh, thousand boxes. So we were thinking that if we were getting a, a hundred investors, each of them uh, uh, recruiting 10 of their friends, we, we would solve the problem quite quickly. Um, interestingly, it, it hasn't been the case. Uh, we probably got... Uh, five or six out of our investors that are really interested and that became some uh, some clients. But most of them were more interested by the opportunity of investing, not really by um, on supporting the, the business. So um, that was... Uh, I, I was thinking that equity crowdfunding would took lots of our time because we would have to manage a community of investors that would be extremely... Uh, wanted to be extremely involved. It's been more the opposite. I know that um, other companies have done it um, differently and got their investors a, a lot more involved, but it hasn't been the case on our fundraise. Wow. And how did you go about building to that thousand box uh, break-even? It's, um, you know, like it's, it's a cool model, uh, but the economics of food boxes they got blown up when HelloFresh entered the market and just gave away so much food and is still giving away so much margin, this enormous, well-funded international company. Uh, it must make it very hard to, to run a business. 
I, I think um, we always thought that um, an uh, international player and uh, uh, would uh, enter the market. And we always saw that as uh, more an opportunity than a challenge. I think that we, we never consider the uh, other food kit uh, as a competitor. We're more competing with the supermarkets and we take some share from the supermarkets. And specifically, even if the category is pretty small in comparison to the, um, the grocery uh, markets in uh, New Zealand, I think we take some uh, lots of, um, we reduce the frequency of, uh, of uh, visit to the supermarkets. So they are our main uh, competitor. All the players in the food kit industry are just raising the awareness. And I think that worked pretty well. In terms of positioning, I think um, HelloFresh and my food bag are more uh, battling uh, head to head and uh, uh, they tend to, um, to discount to have a, a lower price point. We, we're not, we have a positioning of um, uh, premium accessible. We're targeting busy professionals who are ready to pay a little bit more to get something that is uh, uh, already half prepared to save time uh, during the week. So we're not really, really uh, competing. And uh, we, we see it as a, a great move to have another player on, uh, on the New Zealand market. Yeah, it, it does sit a bit, um, a bit kind of fancier or a bit more of a sense of occasion, the work meals, than the others. Like, it can be very frustrating if you have bought a food box for 150 a week and then you get a recipe that's like a pasta bake and then the next night's like a, a fritters and you're like, well, you can make that out of... <laughs> you, don't need, you, don't need help. you don't need help to make a pasta bake. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I, th I think it's uh, they, they, they provide uh, lots of uh, variety and solving this problem of what's for dinner tonight, which is one of the the, the key the key problem. And th there is a um, there are some customer for any type of uh, offer. We're just playing. Uh, on uh, with an offer that is uh, slightly different, and uh, we managed to 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 grow a lot and double the size of the business every uh, uh, six to twelve months uh, over the last um, six years. So it's been a pretty cool journey. When did you know it was working? Oh, I think. Um, it's uh, we, we were really excited when uh, when we launched. Um, it was working really well over the first uh, few months. We uh, were attracting um, lots of customers. We launched in the months of uh, August until we hit the first uh, summer. We had not properly anticipated that, but in uh, from the third week of November. Uh, People switch into a barbecue and a Christmas party mode. Everyone goes away during December and January. So most of our customers at the time had posted subscriptions. So uh, this uh, uh, and entrepreneurship is always uh, lots of uh, up and downs and this uh, roller coaster. So we never knew that it was working. It was uh, we, you, we we could think that we were on a good trajectory for the first few months and then. We hit a wall uh, after six months. So um, it's constantly uh, up and down and a constant challenge to be able to maintain the growth and, um, and to, to make it an, um, an exciting business. How did COVID hit your business as providing food to people at home uh, and deliveries of food rather than people heading out was advanced a lot by the changes of COVID, but I imagine 
all of the difficulties around logistics and change and everything would also be advanced a lot for you. Yes, it was qu- quite an uh, interesting journey from the um, the outside. We uh, uh, we we were pretty pretty lucky because uh, we ended up being an um, essential business, and uh, I've got so many friends that uh, have lost their business or uh, struggled a lot uh, that uh, we we were in the very very lucky uh, category. But it brought, um, just when we were seeing what was happening in, um, in Europe, we knew that some lockdowns were coming. It was pretty stressful for the, um, the staff at the beginning when uh, uh, the government uh, announced that um, the takeaway uh, couldn't operate, uh, that the supermarket could stay open. The whole staff was extremely stressed because they were thinking that uh, they would lose their job. And uh, for us, uh, even if we had some um, uh, cash reserve, we only had three or four months ahead of us if we had to stop trading. So, uh, and the measures in terms of uh, health and safety and um, equipment were not very clear. We had to maintain as a business a distance of two meters between uh, workers, which we cannot really do because uh, when you get someone that is um, making a sauce, feeding it by hand, and uh, we, we had we have people that uh, were at less than two meters. So we tried to source some masks. Uh, we went everywhere. It was impossible to find some masks. Some uh, people were selling them at uh, 10 or $12 a mask, but uh, they didn't have the quantity that we needed. So I ended up um, uh, seeing uh, um, a, f- a friend whose mother is a GP that had this um, uh, garden shield and um, they were uh, seeing patients on the car park with those garden shields. So I went to the next um, burning on um, Great North Road and um, they had six in stock. Uh, I arrived in the store, nobody could find them. I spent 45 minutes and um, and uh, instead of giving up, I, uh, I picked up a ladder and then I started at the top of the rack to find them. I ended up uh, finding a box with those uh, shields and then my wife dropped everything and and uh, went across uh, 12 or 13 uh, meter 10 and uh, burning all across the, the, the place to, uh, to find some shields so we could have some protection for the staff. And it's been, uh, we, we, we were seeing those health and safety measures as uh, absolutely key to be able to maintain the business. MPI was um, auditing every business, was asking us what we were putting in place. So we spent lots and lots of time to um, ensure that our staff were um, operating in um, nice and good conditions. We split everyone in working in two shifts with a gap of one hour in the middle. We were temp- taking the temperature of our staff. Um, providing lots of uh, support. We appointed um, two health and safety uh, manager for the morning, the evening shift. We, we, we um, protected a lot of well, our customers because we know that they were stuck at home. They were heavily relying on the service that we were offering. So we've been pretty uh, uh, humbly happy to be able to um, deliver them some solutions so they didn't have to go out uh, at the time of the first lockdown. Tell me about awards and the role that they play in your business as the business has won a bunch of awards for uh, a range of things, hey, from from customer through to um, staff happiness and the like. 
Yes, we uh, we've, we've been pretty pretty lucky to uh, win uh, uh, a few a few awards. Um, the, the the team has um, we we really really um, celebrate our values in the business and uh, we hire people uh, based on value. We uh, constantly focus on our, our values. And we've got a team of people that are working really hard and like uh, to win together and to um, do something bigger than themselves. So all of those awards are really good way of celebrating and uh, giving us some different uh, milestone and a good opportunity to celebrate. Something that we learned as well is that we got um, this uh, little collection of awards at the reception. When we hire some um, candidates, uh, we, when, when we meet some, uh, some candidates and we interview them, um, specifically now that we start getting some people coming from larger uh, companies that the business is evolving, we always um, uh, sit them in front of these awards and tell them that we haven't won those awards just because um, we are in a category that is uh, growing fast. We won those awards because uh, we work really, really, really hard to, to do that. Uh, it, it looks sometimes that uh, we're growing pretty fast and uh, that is pretty easy and you can think that it's a small business in a fast-growing category. But seen from the inside, it's a lot and a lot of hard work. What would your advice be to someone who does want to kind of start something in their passion area? Uh, and, you know, there, there must have been some really hard days when you'd pursued your passion through the first ready-made meal business and depleted all your savings and saw that that wasn't going to be the idea that would work and then changing into another model and hearing all of those no's from the investors and, and, and pushing through, you know, like what, what would your advice be to people who do believe that there's a great business at the end of it? I really uh, love the, the journey and um, any side of the journey and there is lots of uh, hard time and lots of uh, extremely exciting time as well. One thing that I learned on the journey of um, Tomat that I did differently with Whoop was spending enough time on the market validation. With Tomat, I had done a pretty light uh, market validation, uh, getting some um, questionnaire that we're getting through friends and uh, basically saying, uh, is my idea a great idea? And people tend to tell you, <laughs> yes, of course, it's a good idea. Uh, they give you some good feedback. And uh, uh, with Whoop, we learned our lesson. And I, um, I, I read a couple of books on, um, on market validation and attended a few um, uh, seminars on it. Um, one thing that we did differently was doing our 100 interviews. Um, so we did actually 200, 100 of them face-to-face -to, -face to really understand the pain points um, that our business was uh, offering to solve and understanding without our offer how people were solving these pain points. Um, and then we um, identified as we, we created some uh, some products and um, get some uh, focus group before we launched. Once we launched, we spent a huge amount of time trying to perfect the product before we try to scale, trying to get this uh, magic product market fit. Um, we we quite lucky in the food kit uh, industry because. 
we iterate on the product every week and we get some feedback from uh, uh, lots of customers on a weekly basis. If you compare it to the wine industry, uh, if you're lucky, you start making wine when you're 20 years old and um, you finish your career at uh, 60, 65 years old. So you get uh, 40 shots of uh, making some wine. Quite often, you need to uh, remember what you've done one, two, five, ten years before to understand what makes great wines. So that's why there is lots of um, uh, generational business because you learn from your, um, from your parents and grandparents. On, uh, in this market, we're pretty lucky because we iterate every week. So we spend the first 18 months of the business iterating and focusing the whole team every single week to survey customer, read in detail all the feedback from the customer to constantly challenge ourselves to improve the product until we were getting product market fit. Some people that are uh, really, and it's not just a marketing um, thing, but grabbing ears by the hand sometimes and saying, oh my God, whoop, you, you changed my life. And that's when we started scaling the business. And what will success be for you personally and also for Whoop as a business as a, as a kind of final thought? I'm uh, extremely uh, happy with uh, this, uh, this business, which is a product and offering a service at the same time. It's um, extremely um, uh, data-driven. Uh, we've got a fantastic team, and uh, we're constantly uh, trying to um, uh, challenge ourselves to uh, offer more. We've done a lot on uh, the environment um, recently. We are um, carbon neutral. We source all our products uh, locally. Uh, and we implemented a back-to-base uh, program. So when we deliver a new box, we take back the old box with all the packaging that we sort and we ensure that they are recycled uh, properly to make some um, other products. So um, we've got lots of uh, initiatives and uh, we uh, got brand that our customer likes. So um, we implemented recently some uh, dessert food kits, some uh, new, uh, more uh, ready meals, coming back to the uh, <laughs> uh, old one to solve those uh, nights when uh, you don't have the time to cook uh, at all. So uh, I'm really, really enthusiastic at the idea of uh, keeping growing, learning, um, failing a lot and uh, learning from our, from our mistakes. Ah, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story today. That's Thomas Dietz, the founder and CEO at Whoop. Kia ora. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much to Jonathan Pierce for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, 
Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.